Blog Talk Radio. So it's uh, faith-based. So you're involved with faithism, not atheism, right? It was that you said, saying that you know a lot of Christians, um, they maybe text or they maybe email you, and you know they was pretty much scared of you. And I said, oh, okay, a challenge, okay. No, I believe the Bible. I don't believe the Bible is saying that slavery is okay because it gives instructions about how to handle slavery. Andrew, that's faith. You just said you accept evolution, evolution theory. So that's faith. You got faith in a theory. By any chance, are you gay? Uh, what do you think about well, totes? Hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me here again on the Atheist Roundtable. Hey, look. Two weeks in a row I'm on the air. Two weeks in a row, Sunday night at 11 p.m. Eastern, I may actually be back in the swing of things. Isn't that awesome? Because this is the Atheist Roundtable, and it's supposed to be a weekly call-in show about atheism and agnosticism and belief and non-belief and whatever happens to flow into your host's stream of consciousness for about 30 or so minutes here on Blog Talk Radio. And I'm that host. It's me. My name is Andrew Garber. Hey, you know, I am a little lonely right now. I would love for you to go and send me friend requests on Facebook, like the fan page for the Atheist Roundtable, because I have to be honest, my, uh, my friend list is dang near full. So like the fan page for the Atheist Roundtable. You can follow me on Facebook, and you can always go to iTunes, leave me those oh-so-coveted five-star reviews. You know, I, 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 talked, I tried my best to have open and honest and real conversations with believers whenever I can. I try my best to be as forthcoming and as genuine as I possibly can whenever I enter those conversations. I try to have those conversations as often as possible. Whenever I do, it seems almost inevitable. And I guess that's probably because I'm having these conversations in the United States. And I guess that's probably because most of the people in the United States who are believers believe in some form of Christianity and that they all at least want to pretend that they read the Bible uh, consistently. Sure, why not? And I think it's interesting that, you know, it, it shouldn't be any surprise, I suppose, that the verses in the Bible are going to be the ones that support whatever position that person that particular person holds, whether they are for or against gay marriage, whether they are for or against a woman's right to choose, whether they are for and against anything, immigration, what have you, whatever it is, there are Bible verses to back them up. And I think that it's just interesting, isn't it? The kinds of Bible verses that we find, that we are attracted to, that that we find most appealing to us, what's that say? Because we can all find, we all can find something in the Bible that's worth grabbing onto, that's, that's a small nugget of wisdom, that's something that really appeals to us. What does that say about the Bible? I mean, is, is the Bible truly filled with wisdom so that it can reach such a wide breadth of people? Is the Bible really something that was inspired by someone, something greater than humanity so that all of humanity could find something, some small bit of truth within it? Is that the case? Or could it be something different? When I was a believer, using the Bible as a mirror 
was something that we talked about a lot. And the idea is a, is a little different than, uh, than what I'm going to be talking about tonight. Because when I was a believer, the idea was that you would go to the Bible, you would find great stories of amazing moral fortitude, and then you would hold yourself next to these examples of amazing moral fortitude. And you, of course, would not measure up to that amazing picture that we find in the Bible. And most of the time we're talking about Jesus here when we talk about uh, superhuman moral powers or whatever. Sometimes we're talking about some other characters in the Bible, but mostly Jesus. And the idea was that if you held yourself against it, you would see that you would see all the failings that a human would have, right? You would see all the ways that you fall short of God's uh, awesomeness or whatever. I don't know. And then that would give you reason to have to go to Jesus to ask for forgiveness and so forth. I think it's interesting now as an atheist looking back on the way that I used to look at the Bible for this mirror kind of thing, when I used to go to the Bible and think to myself, hmm, yeah, I don't know if I would be good enough to be Jesus. Would I be strong enough to do the kinds of amazing things that Jesus did? Now as an atheist, when I go back and I rethink that, I think to myself things like, whew, boy, if I were God, I'd probably figure out the, a solution to a problem that doesn't involve mass genocide, doesn't involve the, the first, all of the firstborn in Egypt having to die. I, I, I would find a way to make things happen that don't involve this seemingly Rube Goldberg-esque style machinations of weird stuff all around. I just snap my fingers and make it happen. I wouldn't even have to snap my fingers. If I were God, snapping my fingers would be a million times more effort than I would actually need to exert in order to make things wonderful. In fact, if I'm a Christian, I believe that God has already done that, called that place heaven, and purposely kept kept all of living humanity out of it. And then constructed a Ruth Goldberg-esque kind of scenario where it gets you in. I think it's interesting now looking back at the Bible, looking at the Bible through and, and going to it, trying to use it as that moral mirror, trying to use it as the idea of that, you know, I'm a, I'm a dirty, broken, horrible, human being, and I need to try to live up to this amazing moral standard that I'm going to find in the Bible. But I find the moral example set forth in the Bible lacking failing and, and, and just wanting for more. I find myself thinking, man, I could have done so much better. I feel, and it's, it's, I don't want to make this sound like I'm feeling morally superior, okay? I don't want to make this sound like I'm like, you know, I'm so much more, although I do kind of think that I am more moral than the God character presented in the Bible. I, I don't want to make this sound like I'm trying to, sound arrogant or full of myself. Because honestly, honestly, I think that when anybody goes to the Bible and looks at it, thinks about it in a moral light, that's not uh, standing on the platform that it has to be the most awesome thing ever. right? When the, if you go into the Bible 
without thinking that, and this is going to be the most awesome book ever because it has to be the most awesome book ever. You leave that thought behind. Then, then everybody, anybody, all of us, become better than the character that we find lurking in those pages. I think it's interesting that now that we um, now that we have to use the Bible to fortify our, 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 our current positions, if we want to use the Bible to fortify our current position, whatever position it may be, that we take to it this preconceived notion, this, this uh, pre-idea going to the Bible, um, and that thing that we bring with us is the reflection that we get back from the Bible. We go to the Bible with the idea that it has to be the most awesome book ever. And we see only the most awesome book ever. And we see only the most awesome characters in it. And we look for those things that we know we have to be able to find in this book. And we pull out those cherries. We hold on to them. What does it say about that? And I think that what that says about us, that we're able to find cherries in anything. We'd be able to find cherries in the Quran, we'd be able to find cherries in the in, in any whole text, because those cherries aren't a reflection of the book; they're a reflection of us. They're the things that we find to be moral truths. We already had them before we took it to the Bible in order to pull out this handful of cherries. And, and I don't want to make it sound like, look, I. I don't hold the Bible in any reverence, okay? I don't think that the Bible is some magical, mystical book. But cherries that we withdraw from it say a lot about us, the choosers, the cherry pickers. I think that it's important to remember that even when we go to the Bible looking for rotten eggs in order to show the rotten eggs to people who think that the Bible is full of nothing but cherries, I think it's important to remember that these things that we collect, be they cherries or eggs, are reflections of us, are reflections of what we hold as values that we take to the Bible in order to extract those things that we're going to be holding as cherries or as rotten eggs, depending on where you're going, what you want the Bible to do. I just think that interesting. I still have use for the Bible, even as an atheist. Even as an atheist, I still have use for the Bible. Um, and I think it's still useful to read the Bible um, in this new light. And I think that it's that's why it's so interesting to listen to all of the other atheist podcasts that are reading through the Bible. So many of them with at least one participant who have who has never read the Bible all the way through before. I love that we have different people reading the Bible in different ways and, and, and taking their own and bringing out their own different cherries and eggs from it, um, especially after having lost their faith or having never had faith in the first place from an atheist perspective. Think that watch, watch for those eggs and cherries that come out because those things that we extract say far more about us, pickers than they do think from which it's being chosen. 
I want to switch gears here for a little bit. And, look, I don't want this next segment, this next portion of, of the show, to sound like trying to berate, belittle, or insult anyone. Okay? I want to make this extremely clear that this, uh, this, the point of this is not to make someone look or feel dumb at all, all right? And, and last week, I did a show on voting, all right? And someone commented on the show link on the Atheist Roundtable Facebook page. Uh, they, made, they, they made a comment, and it was off topic, all right? But that's okay, because this show is here to have conversations. And if you want to have a conversation, and it doesn't have to be about a topic that we've talked about here recently, then you comment, just like this guy did, you comment, you start a conversation. exactly the right thing to do. And I might make a thing like, well, maybe this wasn't the topic of the show. Maybe you could have just started a whole post instead of commenting on the thing. But whatever. Who cares, right? As long as the conversation is started, it goes on. Now, my friend... No, he's not my friend yet. I, I, I don't think I'm able to send him a Facebook friend request because I think he set his settings to uh, only accept friends requests from people he knows. Uh, otherwise, I would have sent him a friend request. Um, uh, I did send him a message after this um, saying thank you for posting on the page and for making a conversation. Um, and I don't want... If Tony is listening tonight, or if someone who knows who Tony is is listening tonight, I want you to know that I meant every word of that sincerely. I really did enjoy the conversation. Now, Tony was trying to present something that we've talked about on the show before, and it's this idea that even if you don't believe, even if you, even if you don't believe, you're still employing faith. All right, because you can't prove that uh, Tony was arguing for an intelligent designer, because you can't prove that an intelligent designer does not exist, because you can't prove that an intelligent designer does exist, position that an intelligent designer does or does not exist, therefore employs faith, because you can't prove either position. Okay? That's a summation of Tony's argument. Right? That is not word for word. But what he's saying is that if, you, if there's no evidence of any kind for any side, then if you believe that an intelligent designer exists, you employ faith. And if you do not believe that an intelligent designer exists, you also employ faith. And you can imagine that I disagreed. Okay? I disagreed just like I did Back in 2015, when The Guardian posted an article about um, uh, it's time for atheism, uh, something, uh, my, atheist, my atheism does not make me superior to, believe, to believers, it's a leap of faith too. That was back, way back when, on The Guardian. I bookmarked it in my browser because it made me so angry. Uh, when, when, when we have a non-believer who thinks that their non-belief is powered by faith. Right? That's, that's the kind of thing that is just silly in my mind. 
right? It doesn't make any doggone sense. And I tried to engage Tony in a conversation and just say, look, I don't understand how you can say that faith is a player if you, there is no evidence for an intelligent designer and you don't believe an intelligent designer exists, you don't understand how faith becomes a player. And Tony never really did explain to me precisely how faith is a player. I think, I think, I could be wrong, but I think what he's trying to say is that because there is no evidence, you have to employ faith to reach a conclusion. That's just weird. That's just a strange idea to me. And, and if Tony is listening, or if someone who knows Tony is listening, my, my, my counter-argument is this. Whenever someone talks to me about a god or an intelligent designer, or they want to argue a piece of evidence that points to some supernatural force, my go-to tactic will always be to substitute your supernatural entity with a dragon in my pants. And I know that sounds absurd, but the point is is that, to me, supernatural entities sound absurd. To me, the proposition that supernatural entities exist sounds absurd. And so, I know they don't sound absurd to believers, and so I need to make a substitution for something that sounds absurd to you so that you can understand why, how that sounds to me, why it sounds absurd to me. So let's say that I substitute word for word Tony's argument for an intelligent designer for a dragon in my pants. Tony said, from our subjective perspective, either either." A dragon exists in my pants or does not. There is currently no publicly known, objectively verified, scientifically reproducible, peer-reviewed evidence sufficiently leaving to prove that there is a dragon in my pants. Believe one or the other is the truth. Whichever you choose, you are using the concept of faith. Faith is belief without proof. Do you really think that you are employing faith? when you reject the idea that I have a dragon in my pants. I'm I'm accepting for the time being, I'm accepting for the time being that there is absolutely no evidence contrary to an intelligent designer. That I'm accepting for the moment that there is no evidence contrary to there being a dragon in my pants. So, at this moment, do you really feel that faith is a player? I, if you say that faith is a player and that faith is belief without proof, then you have no proof. That, then you have faith that there are no fairies. You have faith that Dunwall, that you have faith that there is not that Godzilla is not uh, destroying the town that you live in right now. You have faith that a invisible monster isn't standing behind you waiting to shoot you with an invisible ray gun that's going to also make you invisible. I mean, mean, you have no proof of any of these things. And yet, 
most of these things wouldn't even cross your mind because I'm making them up in my imagination. And they don't take faith. I don't think that they take being an atheist, rejecting the idea that that supernatural beings exist. doesn't take faith. I think that if you're going to say that God does not exist, then you have a burden of proof to fulfill, to say that God does not exist. And I think that if you take on that burden of proof, then you get the privilege of also being able to define God. And so maybe next time on the Atheist Roundtable, I'm going to revisit my episode on proof that God does not exist. Because I really think that if you allow me the privilege of defining God, that I can prove or at least submit a substantial amount of evidence that God does not exist. And I promise, I promise, I will not define God as a thing that does not exist. That would be cheating. And we all know that believers aren't above using that argument in reverse. It's called the ontological argument for the existence of God. It's a real apologetic and they use it. I will not be using a counter or an anti-ontological uh, argument for the existence that God does not exist. But I think that there are there's plenty of evidence to show that if I'm able to define a God, that I can prove that that God does not exist. And because Tony wants to talk about an intelligent designer, one of the things that one of the ways that I would define this God is I will say that this God is the creator of the universe. I will say that this God is the creator of the universe. That is one of the ways I would find the God next week when I revisit my episode on proof there is no God. It's, it's in the archives if you want to go listen to it. Um, but I think I'm going to just rehash it all. Um, it's been a while, and maybe I have another listener since then. Um, it's time to do it. So... So there we go. Uh, oh, oh, and um, yeah, I'm going to end this episode a little early because one is I'm 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 tired and it, it, it's late and I get it. Okay, I get it. My show's on at 11 o'clock on Sunday. People go to bed because they're reasonable. All right, fine. Um, I'm going to end the show early. Okay, just a couple just a couple more minutes here. Uh, to my good friends Ray and Wes, we will get together to talk about politics again. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll get with you guys. I really will. I love you guys. I'm gonna get. I wanna do a thing. I, I, I promise. We're gonna get. We're gonna all gonna sit down. We're gonna talk about Trump. Maybe I'll bring in a. I'll bring in a, someone who is on the other side, and we can all talk politics together. Okay. Maybe I do that. Uh, I don't know. Um, if I do, then, um, well. We'll have it on this show. And if it goes longer than 30 minutes, what I'll do is I'll have 30 minutes on this show. The rest of it will be available at patreon.com uh, for any, anybody who wants to help out with support the show uh, or with uh, your Patreon donations. Um, I, I, I realize that this show probably isn't worth a dollar an episode. You're not really paying for episodes as much as giving me money 
so that eventually, if I have enough money, I can upgrade the version of Blog Talk Radio that I use. If I'm able to update, upgrade the version of Blog Talk Radio that I use, that is how this audio quality that you're listening to right now would improve. All right? That's, that's how that's going to happen. So thank you all so much for all of your patience, for all of your support, for everything that the Atheist Roundtable community does for me. I love every one of you. You guys have helped me and my family more than you know already with your support, with your love, with your feedback. Thank you so much. I truly, truly appreciate every little light that the Atheist Roundtable gets. You guys are amazing, and you have my heart. Um, Until next time, take care of yourselves. God isn't here. We are. Good night. Like the fan page for the Atheist Roundtable at slash Atheist Roundtable on Facebook or find your host at slash Andrew the Atheist. Send all of your email to andrewtheatheist at gmail.com. This podcast is the official podcast of atheists, humanists, and agnostics of the Wabash Valley. Find us on Facebook for monthly meetups. Music for this episode is provided, as always, by Dick Richards. Thank you, Dick. God is here. We are. Take care of yourselves.